Welcome back to episode 54 of the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure to interview Matt Fitzgerald, the author of Running the Dream. This is a great book, podcast for any runner out there that is intrigued to hear how an elite professional distance running group trains or any runner out there that has or still does dream about taking running all the way. In this interview, I talked to renowned endurance sports writer, Matt Fitzgerald, about his latest book, Running the Dream. In this book, he details the 13 weeks he spent training and racing, faking to be a pro with the Hocker Northern Arizona elite professional running team in Flagstaff, Northern Arizona, America. At 46 years of age, with 40 marathons under his belt and no marathon PB for nine years, It's amazing to hear what Matt was able to achieve with just 13 weeks of training with the team. Matt Fitzgerald is an author of of more than 20 books, including How Bad Do You Want It, 80-20 Running, Iron War, and The Endurance Diet. He's also a running coach and handy runner himself. In this interview, I quiz Matt about concepts like what makes a successful running group, how important are groups, what was the training structure like, what epic workouts did he complete, How did he manage injury? What was their nutrition like? Was there a common thread in regards to mindset amongst the professional runners in the Hocker Naz Elite team? Thanks once again, Matt, for not only your time, but a fascinating insight into life with a professional distance running group. Now, if you're interested to read more about Matt's experience or his other titles, go to www.mattfitzgerald.org. All right, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Here it is. Welcome to the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced runner and running physiotherapist. I created this podcast not only so I had an excuse to talk running each and every week, something that I love to do, but more importantly, this podcast gives me the opportunity to interview fellow runners, friends, and health professionals in a relaxed and easygoing format. This podcast is designed for the everyday runner, so we can all live, learn, grow, and enjoy everything there is to running together. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Run Culture Podcast. Today, I'm very fortunate to be talking to Matt Fitzgerald. Matt's an endurance sports writer and author of more than 20 books. Some of the titles of his books include How Bad Do You Want It? The 80-20 Running, um, and uh, Iron War, The Endurance Diet, and his latest book, which I really wanted to dive into today, Running the Dream, where he details one summer training and racing with the professional running team Hocker Nazalite in Flagstaff. And I feel like this book is a good melding of a lot of his other books where he sort of applies the science and the art and really um, details ex- his experience training with the team. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Matt. It's great to be with you. Matt, how did you get into riding and, uh, and running? I got both uh, from my father. Uh, uh, my father was a published novelist by the time I even learned how to write. Um, so, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed reading and writing from a, a very early age. So I had a tremendous advantage, you know, living under the same roof as a man who did it professionally, uh, because I knew, unlike a lot of children who are into writing, that it was possible. You know, it's not easy. Um, 
And then my dad got into running uh, marathons. My dad was kind of a very physical person. He would do these crazy solo long distance swims before I was born. He grew up on the Canadian border right on the St. Lawrence River. And he would just like find a map and choose a point and another point and just swim. He's the only person I know who has run marathons and swum further in open open water. Um, <laughs> but then he was, uh, you know, in the Navy Special Forces during the Vietnam era, and then after that, he needed a new outlet, and so he the, the running boom was happening then. We're going back to the early mid '80s. He started running marathons, and you know, again, I thought that was normal too, just like writing novels. Um, so I gave it a try, and I was not very good at at other sports, you know, I didn't have coordination, um, but I was, I was decent at running and I, because I started young, you know, it's not really the funnest sport, <laughs> but, it, you know, I developed a passion for it and, and kept, kept at it. Nice. And, uh, um, what sparked the idea of this latest book? Um, yeah, r- running the dream. So what sparked the idea of, uh, yeah, joining um, forces with Ben Rosario and the team in Flagstaff. I think many, if not most, um, youth athletes who um, who develop a passion for any sport dream of taking it all the way. And, you know, obviously very few are talented enough to even dream of going to the Olympics or, or, or being professional athletes as adults, but... Still, there's that notion of uh, going all the way, just seeing how good you can be. And I had, I wanted to do that. I, I remember in high school, I knew I wasn't going to the Olympics or going to get a Nike shoe contract, you know, later on. But I wanted to find my personal limit. Um, and then it just sort of didn't quite work out that way. You know, I, I, I got away from running, then got back into it was very injury prone. I could, I couldn't stay healthy long enough to, um, to really fulfill my potential. So then, you know, before I know it, I'm 40 years old, 42 years old and slowing down. Um, and I thought, dang, you know, looking back, I never really did, uh, um, do the best I felt I could do like in competition. I had some great workouts, (laughs) but, um, but then I got a little bit of a second wind, a little, had a little bit of a renaissance. I, I figured out some things about just staying healthy. Um, and then I thought, you know what? Uh, why not just take one last shot at this before it's too late? And, you know, I had the advantage of being a writer because I never would have done it. I never would have been able to do it if I were just Matt Fitzgerald, amateur runner. Um, but because I had the, the, uh, a platform to share my experience, with because you know this fantasy is shared very broadly you know a lot of people would love to do what i did um so i thought you know if i tell the story right people will be able to see themselves in me um experience what i do through me you know see themselves in in me and so that was the concept and and ben rosario he understood what i was trying to do and and bought in and it, it happened Dream came true. Nice. Um, how did you um, approach Ben and uh, yeah make make it happen? So like, how did that all start? How did that communication all start? Yeah. You know, he was. Uh, you know, there are a number of professional running enclaves you know scattered throughout the United States. So I had more than one option. Um, there were only a small number where I had any kind of connection. 
um, and the NEZ Elite was one of them. Um, I had actually never met Ben Rosario. I had met a couple of the members of the team, um, but um, you know, I at least had an email address for, for Ben. Um, and I also I knew what his his shtick was. You know, his you know his team is really all about not just trying to compete at the highest level, but trying to connect with the broader running community. Um, you know, because running is a different kind of sport than uh, other, you know, it's more participatory, less fan based than, you know, like American football and, and basketball. And so he, 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 his feeling was we're not going to really fully professional just by virtue of our performances. We need to do more than that. And so my feeling was that if anyone is going to understand the benefit to the team, um, of allowing me to spend some time with them and write about it, that, that Ben would probably get it. And, and he did. And it really wasn't that hard. It just took one email. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, like, was this, this is way, this was back in 2017, um, was it, uh, that you trained with the team? And uh, yeah, how old were you at the time? And, and what was the, what was that? aim so what what was the aim of the whole training stint yeah i was uh, i was 46 years old then um and uh you know from an athletic perspective um you know i needed you know i needed to tell a story that was inspiring or i wanted to tell a story <laughs> that was inspiring and for that i needed a happy ending it was just obvious i mean we've all seen a million sports movies and you know, there's like, it has to, you have to end with the championship, right? Or, you know, yeah. a big competition, whatever it is. And so I needed that. And I chose, I wanted to run a marathon at the end of, of the, the segment. Um, and I wanted to run a marathon specifically that at least one of the real pros was also running. Um, and so I ended up, uh, it was just suggested that I, that I do the Chicago Marathon, which I'd never, never actually done before. I had run 40 marathons when I arrived in Flagstaff, but Chicago wasn't one of them. Um, so, yeah, that, the, the goal was, you know, I didn't expect, my, my PR was nine years old. And I hadn't come within eight minutes of it since I said it. So I did not, no matter how well it went, and I did expect things to go well, because I, I believe that I was in good hands, you know, that was kind of the point, right? Yeah. <laughs> like these, these folks know what they're doing. And I felt like I would see some good results, but I did not expect to be able to chase a PR or anything like that. I just wanted to be able to run better than I'd run in a while. Uh, yeah, I, it was sort of vaguely defined, you know, uh, yep. we figured it out as we went. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. And so for for those listening um, that don't know much about Hocker Nazali and um, and the team members involved, um, how many were on the team and uh, what were their main events? And uh, yeah, do you mind painting a little bit of a picture of yeah what it was sure. like over there? Yeah, so yeah. the team was um, only just a, a few years old at the time. It was started by Ben Rosario, was his vision. He was a professional runner himself for a brief time. Um, 
And then he uh, he's from the St. Louis he's from St. Louis, Missouri, um, more in the eastern part of the U.S. And uh, and he owned he moved back there after his short professional running career ended. Uh, opened up a running store, a running specialty store. It was very successful, but he, coaching was his passion. Um, and so he decided to sh- sell the business and then move to Flagstaff and try to make a go of coaching elite runners. And um, he's really good and he has just charisma. And, and so he was able to attract uh, some, some talented runners to work with was able to eventually attract a shoe sponsor. And, you know, lo and behold, he had a team. When I was there, there were, I think, 13 members, uh, one of one of whom was remote. He was, he, he was in medical school. <laughs> he was just starting medical school in Philadelphia. Another was split time between Scott Smith, split time between Los Angeles and Flagstaff. And then the other 11 were full-time in Flagstaff. I think I know some people who don't know much about professional running. They they envision everyone all living in a dormitory together or something. Like it's not like that. They're yeah. all they're all adults with their they're young, but they're adults with their own lives. I mean, there were three parents on the tour, there were three or four, a few parents, four parents on the team. So I mean, you know, just you know, uh, everyone's got their apartment or their house. I lived with one member of the team, Matt Yano. Uh, which was great because I sort of expected to go out there and just, you know, rent an apartment or something. Um, and But Matt Yano reached out and invited me and my wife to stay with him for the entire summer. And that was great because I got a lot of one-on-one time with one member of the team. And it just integrated me with the team a lot more than I would have been otherwise. But, you know, that that, that was really the setup. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh... When you were over there, was it a, a thirteen week stint? And uh, yeah, how how did how how did you find the training compared to what you were used to, um, and and the altitude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd never trained at high altitude before. Um, Flagstaff is at seven thousand feet. Um, uh, I don't know what that is in meters. <laughs> I think about yeah, about two thousand. Yeah. 2,000 meters? No, it's close. Well, yeah, it's, yeah a little more than 2,000. Yeah, 2,200. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the training was different. You know, I, I'm a coach, too. I write books about running. You know, I felt like I wasn't – this wasn't my first rodeo, as they say, but um, there's a difference between, you know, being, you know, an experienced and knowledgeable amateur – and being a professional. And I discovered that when I was there, like things were different. I mean, on a lot of levels, there was the altitude, there was the team environment, you know, like, you know, we were, I met up and ran with the team every day and then usually would run again on my own uh, later, like the rest of the team. Um, And, uh, you know, we would run in a different location every time. And I'm used to just at home, I would just walk out my door and I have like three or four different routes I do again and again and again and again. But that's part of being professional and, and living in a, like Flagstaff is a runner's paradise. They're just trails on top of trails on top of trails. And, um, you know, you would ask earlier, what, what did the, what did the runners on the team, uh, specialize in? They do a mixture of track road racing and cross country. So they, they run the gamut, uh, but they do most of their easy runs on the trails because, 
why wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, they're softer. And that's one of the things I found early on is that I was attempting to handle more volume of running than I, than I had in a long time. Um, in fact, I wasn't even running every day, uh, for the last few years. I, I do, you know, I'm also a triathlete, so I, I, I would train twice a day, but I would only run every other day. But Ben really wanted me to train like a real person. <laughs> he had me running twice a day, uh, most days, but because so much of it was on trails, you know, I really found that when I looked at the numbers, you know, when I would look back on the training I was doing, it was, it was a lot. It wasn't just like high volume, but there were some just gigantic workouts <laughs> we would do. But I really felt good, you know. I, I just absorbed it well, and I think there's a lot that you know. There's the trails. I think part of it is psychology and even sociology. Like I was just so happy to be there um, that you know I really think that has had something to do with it as well. And also, I was living more like a pro, so I was getting more downtime between training. I wasn't just, you know, running around, but I was just relaxing, trying to nap like the real pros do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of things changed, you know, maybe nothing, no one thing was super drastic aside from the altitude, but you know, the training was definitely different and, um, it suited me. It really did. You know, I started to improve very quickly, uh, almost immediately after hitting the ground. With the jump in mileage, uh, with, and you mentioned the trails. Um, uh, what what else did you find um, that might have helped you not get injured um, from stepping up your training so much um, yeah, over that period? Yeah, you know, I was. Um, I mean, I was constantly on the verge of falling apart. <laughs> when I, was there. I mean, I was, but it was just. Um, you know, it's funny because I say I felt good, and I really did. It was like. You know, I was 46, remember? So, like, you know, for me, when I got, you know, three, four weeks out from a marathon, I was used to, like, having a hard time getting out of bed <laughs> in the morning. I didn't really have any of that. I would bounce out of bed, but there was there was always, like, one or two parts, specific parts of me that were really on the rivet, uh, uh, you know, just close to taking me out. Um but that was to be expected. I, I told Ben, like, I warned him, you know, this will happen. And so I think what, and I, I did suffer one full-blown, actually quite significant injury about halfway through. Um, but but even when, I, even aside from that, I was, there was always something to worry about. And the things that kept me together for the most part and really saved the day, even after I did get hurt, was what we did to manage it. So it's not that we prevented stuff, but we we managed it. Excuse me. So, you know, part of it was coaching. You know, you know, I, I am a coach, but you know how it is yourself as a coach. Like, yeah. it's easy for you to tell a runner to do something that you won't do yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I remember one time early on, I had a, an Achilles that was bothering me, and Ben just ordered me to take a day off, and I'm not sure I would have if I were still self-coached. Uh, so there was that, it was just coaching someone to put the brakes on me. Um, but also, um, you know, physiotherapy, massage therapy. Um, I just had resources, um, you know, so, you know, I mean, I, there's a, one of the major characters in the book is AJ Gregg, like that one of the team physiotherapists. And I was, I was 
receiving treatment from him at times, like every day. Like <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was in there like, you know, it was five days a week. Yep. Um, <laughs> and I think that made a huge difference, you know, just like he just, it, it was just enough to hold me to, together throughout yep. the process. And then I've also um, uh, heard you talk on other podcasts about um, Matt Lano's diet was really uh, immaculate. Um, yes. And, I mean, you've published books on the endurance diet. Um, I mean, did you, how did you find uh, that, that aspect of the experience? Yeah. I mean, I mean definitely. Um, I mean, I guess everyone thinks their diet is above average. But, yeah. I mean, I mean <laughs> mine really was. <laughs> yeah. Even, you know, before I left California, um, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a clean eater. Uh, you know, beer is my weakness. Like I I've got I've, I've got to have my beer, but I'm not. I don't have a sweet tooth, and you know, all the grains I eat are whole grains. Uh, I eat a ton of fruit and vegetables. Uh, not a lot of meat. Uh, more fish than, than meat, and you know, just it's balanced. It's fresh. It's varied. Uh, a lot of good things about my diet, but. And this is one of the things that was really eye-opening about the difference between like a serious amateur and a professional is that, you know, diet was just one of a few ways where I saw only when I got to Flagstaff that I had been slacking and cutting corners in ways that I didn't even realize, you know, until I was exposed to like, oh no, this is what perfect looks like. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm not a believer in even aiming for perfection with diet, I think that's a recipe for, uh, it's just, it's not sustainable. Yep. Um, and, and not Yano is as, as immaculate. And that's exactly the word I use in the book. Um, even as immaculate as his diet was, you know, he, he does have a sweet tooth, but he, you know, he, so he would, he would have, um, I mean, he, he likes to bake. Um, so he would, you know, just bake, um, you know, pastries and stuff and, and eat, you know, a, a little of them. There were it was just, he didn't exclude that kind of stuff, but so I made some, like a few changes, like you know stuff that I felt like I could live with. Like I, I like dark chocolate. I don't eat a lot, but it's like a daily thing. I just decided to cut it out because I, I knew I wouldn't miss it for 13 weeks. I kind of cut out cheese. Like you know, cheese is kind of a calorie bomb, and I love it, but I don't need it. And beer, I need, but, <laughs> but I. Um, I cut I cut down on it without cutting it out until the last two weeks when I in in the taper part uh, I did I cut it out I went I did a complete alcohol fast so it was just like a few key changes but you know also the lifestyle was different so I was actually eating out a lot more because you know I would be out and I would do like a morning run with the team and then there would be a strength workout you know 90 minutes after the run was finished and I didn't I thought. Uh, my wife usually would accompany me. She's not a runner, but she would just hang out. And it, it, we would be like, well, there's no point in going back to Matt's place. So let's just, you know, eat at this bagel joint here. So we were, we were just, a lot of, it was one of those things that was just different. Like it, the lifestyle was different. So, you know, I would just make different choices. I, we would choose healthy places to eat. Um, and, you know, I probably ended up just eating slightly less, yep. you know, because uh, I'm ordering from restaurants versus just like heaping portions on, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, 
Yeah, yeah, I lost nine pounds. Yeah, you have to put turn that into kilos. Two kilos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, yeah, it's a little. It's like, it's, yeah, a little over two kilos. Um, okay. Yeah, and um, what about you mentioned before, Matt? Um, that there was a couple of uh, yeah, really epic workouts. Um, I'm just interested to hear. Um, yeah, like you know what you know one or one or two of them were and um uh what was the particular one where it almost got you unstuck and um yeah to that breaking point yeah by the way i want to correct myself it's a little over four kilos that i lost (laughs) Uh, (laughs) 2.2 pounds per kilo yeah Um, anyway so um yeah that's the thing like you know one of the one of the big differences uh, like workout design was a if you just want to get down to the nuts and bolts of training because you know when i'm on when i'm training myself i i train hard you know i do some some very tough workouts but they're simple you know because you have there's the physical work you have to do to execute them and then there's the mental work you have to do to plan them and often you just want to do the physical work so you just, you come up with something really basic and hard. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, you know, it like all the intervals were just like of a, a uniform intensity and uh, duration or, or distance. So, I don't know, you know, mile repeats, yep. ten pay pace or something. And, and, and with, uh, with NAZ Elite, we, especially in a marathon segment, we would do a lot of runs that would, were really long, but they were workouts. They weren't long runs. Like you would, they would add up to, you know, 14, 16, sometimes 18 miles. Um, and, but you were doing stuff and, and it wasn't all at one intensity. So, um, I'm actually writing an article for a website now where I'm collecting a few of the work, those workouts, you know, three of them yeah, nice. of those epic workouts. The one that, um, that I got injured doing, it was um, it was so complex in structure that I actually created a crib sheet. Uh, like I, I wrote out the workout on a piece of paper, laminated it with scotch tape, <laughs> and stuck it in my shorts because I knew I, my middle-aged brain was not going to. It even included changes in direction. <laughs> we would do a lot of these workouts on uh, on this road called Lake Mary Road. It's like it's just it's a road that goes straight forever. Yep. Um, and it's, it's great for marathon training, but it's just it's just a road, you know, just a straight road. And like this this workout, I had to like not only do there were like uh, 400 meter repeats, half mile repeats. There was a a cut down like three mile tempo, two mile faster tempo, and then one mile kind of close to all out whatever you had left. But they were separated with the the quarter the quarter mile repeats and the half mile repeats like inserted in between with jogging yep. there were actually some there was some active rest and some passive rest and like i said the changes in direction so <laughs> it, it was an, it was a truly epic workout it was fun as hell and for some reason like lake mary road was just i you know in the book i call it lake mary road magic um because like i just felt great every time i was there uh, and I felt I was just on top of the world. I mean, it was probably one of the most enjoyable and satisfying 
workouts I had ever done. Maybe number one. I mean, honestly, maybe absolutely a number one training running experience. And then I'm within sight of the finish of this workout. And suddenly I feel like I've been stabbed with a stiletto, stiletto on the left <laughs> side of my groin. It was like a, it was like a nail gun shot. Just like, I mean, not, not like I've had a million uh, overuse injuries. This was more like uh, rolling, like a high ankle sprain type of thing, like acute. Uh, you know, I tore my ACL playing soccer, uh, football yep. um, when I was a kid. And like next to that, it was the, the most intense pain I've ever of like the musculoskeletal variety I've ever experienced. Like, you know, you know, it's like, this is grievous bodily harm. Like there's pain and then there's pain. And like, this was like, there was absolutely no running through it. My instinct was to try. Cause I'm like, man, I've killed this workout. I can <laughs> see the finish. Yeah. You know, if I, if I can just gut it out, I will, but I, I absolutely couldn't. Um, I was done. And at that point I thought it was over. I thought it was, I had, I was about halfway through. It was about midway through the 13 weeks. And I thought, here we go again, another, another disappointment. <laughs> and then, um, so from there, is that when the, the almost daily physiotherapy uh, started um, just to try to manage and, and then some smart coaching decisions, I suppose, just to manage you all the way to the line? Yeah, well, yeah. as chair, well, it's no accident. I, I already had an appointment with AJ for a couple hours after that workout for another problem. <laughs> so, I mean, I was already in there all the time, <laughs> but yeah, after that, I mean, that was, that was a game changer. You know, from that point on, we were, uh, we were trying to salvage the whole thing. Truly. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I, I'm like I said, I'm very experienced. Like I have, I had plenty to compare the present moment to and, you know, everything said, don't get your hopes up, buddy. You know, this is, <laughs> it's yeah. probably not going to happen. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was not in my own hands. Like, you know, Ben ordered me to take the next three days off. No, like not like I would have immediately gone to cross training. He didn't even let me do that. He said like three days, nothing. So right out of, right from the gun, um, I was doing things differently to recover than I would have been doing on my own. And I, I made, I made a recovery beyond, I want to describe it as miraculous because it was, I just recovered faster and better than I ever could have imagined was possible. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. not because of me. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then Matt, I'm just interested. Um, how, how much did the the training that they were doing fit sort of that eighty twenty ratio or principle um, from your book? Yeah, I, I get that. I get that question a lot. Um, yeah, <laughs> and I mean it did. Yeah, and you know Ben and I talked about this, um, and you know like like virtually, well, most if not all elite level coaches. He doesn't, he doesn't run the numbers that way. Like he doesn't, he doesn't like enter things in a calculator to make sure it's 80, 20. Like yep. he, it just works out that way. Like, yep. you know, he, he, 
he does it the way it's done. Yeah. And the way it's done is de facto 80-20. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, as an exercise while I was there, I, I once or twice I would take a week of training I'd done and just, and I would do the math myself. And it, it, it truly was. I mean, it, it was. Yep. <laughs> uh, an 80-20 breakdown. And, and you know, if, if Ben uh, were on this podcast with you and you excuse me you could ask him directly whether he buys into that philosophy the answer would be an emphatic yes like yep. again he doesn't do the math the same way but yeah it's uh uh that is how it's done at, at that level um yeah you know. and you mentioned a bit before about the, the the power of the the group effect and um uh and how uh i've heard you in other podcasts talk about um a lot of a lot of the training or the 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 success that the group seemed to have was just their positive mindset and and uh, I suppose the belief that they all built uh, uh, together as they trained together. Um, how did you see them fostering this? And uh, like, what were your thoughts on on? on the whole group and, and how positive that was for performance and, and, and running. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. The, uh, I mean, the team thing is, is huge and more than I expected it to be. Um, and I think more than a lot of runners would expect because it is an individual sport. I mean, if you, you know, if you run in school, especially cross country, that really is a, a team sport. Um, so, but this this group, I mean, if you go back to like nineteen the late nineteen nineties up through two thousand, there there were virtually no professional running teams in America, and professional running in America was at its absolute worst. Like um, it was in the two thousand Olympics, I think no American finished better than sixth in any event of eight hundred meters or longer. And it was just um, the people who cared, you know, like influencers, you know, uh, top level coaches thought this is this isn't us, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like like this, like we should be doing much better than this. And that's when all these pro teams started popping up because the people who understood the power of team dynamics understood that was the solution. I mean, it was a big part of the reason that the East Africans took over. Everyone wants to say, oh, they're just genetic freaks. Like, no, they're not. <laughs> you know, they, they have various advantages like altitude, diet. They're running when they're, you know, they're running to school when they're in diapers still. Yeah. <laughs> but, it's you know, they, and also, I mean, it's a poor country. Those are poor countries. And that helps because, like, they don't have 20 other sports that they can go pro in. There's a lot of factors. But, the team thing is huge in the East African countries. And so, you know, smart American influencers in the sport said we need teams. And so that's why they exist. And guess what? They work. Like I saw it for myself. Now they, they don't automatically work. You know, Ben Rosario puts a lot of emphasis into recruitment because you have to choose the right people. You have to decide, well, what do I want the culture of my team to be? Um, he, he chooses, he doesn't necessarily just look for the single most talented, uh, graduating, uh, collegiate runner he can, he can get. Um, 
he looks for people who, yes, are talented, who have a lot of upside potential, but who are team-oriented people. He looks for people who are emotionally mature, quite honest, like people with, with good judgment, uh, a level head. And I saw that, you know, individually. And I think it's one of the things that um, people who read the book will see is, you know, I, one of my missions in, was to connect with every single individual runner on the team. Um, that's part of the reason I wanted to be there as long as I was, to, to let it happen rather than having to force it. And you'll see they've all... I mean, they're all interesting people, <laughs> you know, they're, I mean, they're, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's as much about the head as it is about the body. And that I was powerfully impressed by that. Um, you know, there are just certain qualities they all had. They all had different personalities, but they all had their shit together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they really did. Yeah, yeah. And that counts for a lot. And then and then that allowed for a really healthy group dynamic to form uh, because they, yes, there's competition, but it wasn't cutthroat. I mean, everyone wanted to win, but all, everyone also genuinely wanted everyone else to succeed. And they would celebrate one another's success. And they would, you know, if someone needed, uh, you know, uh, you know, support if they were going through a difficult, uh, you know, an injury or an illness or whatever it was, or just a bad patch, they got that support, you know, their teammates rallied around them. And if someone just kicked ass, you know, that was, it was like authentically, you know, because when I first landed there, you know, I know people were a little bit guarded. They're like, okay, here, here's an old man who's going to be writing about us. So, yeah. you know, they would censor themselves a little bit, like it was a little awkward, but, but, I was, you know, that's another reason I wanted to be there as long as I was. By, by end of it, they were just being themselves. So I saw the real deal, like yep. how they really were. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's yeah, they're they're a great team and a, a true team. Yeah, nice man. And so and, then, like you, you managed your your hamstring injury. Um, with the help of physio and some smart smart training decisions in in li liaising with Ben and um, how did it, how did like you ended up running the Chicago Marathon and uh, yeah um, how did you end up going? Well, I mean it, it went well. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I should mention that um, I, I was able. Um, so the, the the team is represented by an agent named Josh Cox who. Uh, he's quite well known here in the sport. He was a professional runner himself. He does broadcasting now. Um, he's very good looking. So he was once on like one of those reality dating shows <laughs> back when he back when he was a, a pro runner. He used uh, to have the the US 50k record. Did yes. He? Oh yeah. Yes. No, that's that's the guy. Yeah. Um, so I mean, he's just he's just great. Uh, so you know, he couldn't help himself. What like he. As soon as he found out what I was doing, you know, just my fake pro runner thing, as I like to call it, <laughs> I, he, he was into it um, and he wanted to support it in any way he could. So what he ended up doing on my behalf is uh, uh, talking to the race director of the Chicago Marathon, Kerry Pinkowski, and talking him into allowing me to run as a pro. <laughs> yeah. So I had, I had an elite bib uh, and folks have to understand Chicago Marathon, 40,000 people run it each year. There are 48 elites, male and female combined. 
uh, uh, yeah, so for the, the normal qualifying standard for a male is uh, you have to have run a 213 marathon or better or the equivalent at a shorter distance. Um, and I wasn't a 213. <laughs> 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 but but I think, you know, Kerry Pinkowski was convinced, yeah, I get it. Like, it'll be cool for, for, you know, just everyday runners to be able to read about, like, what it's actually like, you know, what, yeah. what the pros do experience. Because it's actually, it's one thing, because pros do write books, you know, mostly retired pros, but you, you can only relate to them so much, you know, because they're just so gifted. Um, and they're kind of on that track, usually from an early age, uh, but for me, it was just surreal, the, the whole experience. I mean, it was utterly surreal. Like, I didn't know what was coming. I didn't know what it was going to be, like what some of the perks <laughs> would be. Actually, some of the challenges of, you know, doing a race of that magnitude as a professional. Um, but, yeah, I had, you know, because I had recovered from my injury, I knew I was going to kill it. Like, like, that's what made it different. Like I said, I would run 40 marathons before. I mean, not all of them were attempts to, you know, crush it and run a PR, but I had run that many marathons. And so I had, you know, again, I had a basis for comparison and never before had I gone into a marathon as confident as I was. I, you know, I just, you know, anything can happen. Um, you know, you could just, you know, twist your ankle, right? And just be done. Uh, so, you know, I, I, didn't, I knew not to be cocky, but I was as confident as I had ever been. And I just, I knew I just had to execute. Uh, and so it worked out. It, it was a challenging race in its way. My, my groin injury uh, made a, um, an untimely return during the race and definitely limited uh, my performance. It was, it was a hot day. So it wasn't, it wasn't ideal weather-wise, but you know, despite, I mean, that's, that's the marathon, right? Like stuff's got to go wrong. Um, yeah. Um, and, but, you know, I, I had a great race. I got, you know, I got the happy ending, the proof of concept that I was <laughs> looking for. Cause I honestly, I knew I was going to write a book about it. And I'm like, how does this work? If I just, you know, <laughs> if I run a, a terrible race or don't even finish. Yeah. Uh, so yes, it all worked out. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And, um, so like, um, that must've been a pretty, um, amazing experience at, at 46 um to in 13 weeks just um yeah turn, turn it around and um turn the clock back and uh yeah get a pb um that you hadn't got for nine years um yeah it shows that um yeah what a powerful training environment you were in yeah i mean exactly so and you know the you know, even if, if, if anyone listening is familiar with things I've written in the past, a big part of what I try to do as a writer is share elite practices with everyone because that's what I believe everyone should do. Not that everyone should run exactly as much as Matt Yano does, uh, but that the principles and, and, and methods apply to like, We're all human. You know, if, if you just scale things to whatever, wherever, whatever level you, you are at, like they're your role models, like they're the best of the best. And so part of what I wanted to accomplish in doing this was to walk my talk, you know, to. <laughs> and so there was there was actually a lot at stake 
you know, if I hadn't done well, if I hadn't improved, um, you know, I might have had to go back to the drawing board in terms of my basic convictions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, um, Matt, like, I'm so grateful for like, everything that you've, you've shared with us today. Uh, um, I just want to, like, a lot of uh, listeners will be interested to reach out to um, look into purchasing, you know, whether it's this book or, or other books. Like, what's the best way for them to reach out to finding um, some of your books and um, finding out more info about you? Yeah, I have a personal website, which is mattfitzgerald.org. Um, and there's a books page on there that's got them all. There are too many. There's some I wish I'd never written, but they're mostly they're mostly from early in my career. Um, but there's really I have three main interests, you know, uh, well, more than three. But uh, I mean, I, I'll go with uh, nutrition is one. Uh, training is another and psychology is a third. So I, you know, I have books that I am proud of. Yeah. <laughs> that, that touch on all three. So because, you know, different runners have different, you know, perceived self-perceived needs. It's like, well, I've got the training down, but I don't have the diet down or I've got the training and the diet down, but my head's holding me back. You know, whatever it is that you think might be, you know, the, the key to taking the next step in as, as a runner um, or a triathlete, uh, for that matter, uh, I've probably got a book for you. Yeah, about, it's funny that you say that, about two months ago, um, yeah, I read How Bad Do You Want It? And um, I was recommended it um, from a friend. Um, and uh, like, it was so good about the, the mental side of running and, uh, uh yeah, and then I, I also listened to uh, Brad Beer's uh, podcast and interview. He interviewed you on the Physical Performance Show about that book and the eighty twenty principles uh, book as well. Um, but yeah, I, I really I really like the um, uh, yeah the how how bad do you want it um, book because it it definitely um, de- that's definitely an area in my own running where I feel feel like. Um, a few, a few races I've let myself down, um, just even mentally. Um, so yep. yeah, that was, uh, and, and you even sort of, um, spoke that that was a, that was a similar thing that you had uh, in the start early stages of your career as well. Running. Yes. Guys. Yes. I was a, I was a head case. <laughs> in <the> early days. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to wrap up now. Um, but yeah, thank, thanks so much. Um, I think uh, a lot of uh, a lot of runners, um, you know, have always thought about what it would be like as a life as a professional runner, and uh, and I think um, yeah, that, that's a, a you know a good sort of like insight. But then also um, there's going to be a whole whole heap more in, in that um, yeah in the book. So yeah, thanks, Matt. You bet. I enjoyed talking to you, Dean. Yeah, you too.